Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of 2 Samuel. The Old Testament passage of 2 Samuel and 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. 2 Samuel and chapter number 6. We've been dealing with the same subject for a couple sermons now. We're in the life of David and exploring David's life as it happened through history. And David has taken the city of Jebus and turned it to the city of Jerusalem, which becomes the capital of Israel under David's reign. And David, in order to put things back into order, has brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and set it into its place. We understand that there were some incidents that occurred, that we saw the principle that uh, David attempted to do God's work man's way, and it did not work out. So David had to do God's work God's way, and God blessed it, and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It was here that we're met with the song leader, the chief musician, Asaph, and saw a character study on his life from this incident when we're first introduced to him. But now we're introduced again to another character that was important in David's life. And we see actually the last mention of this person. And so notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. 2 Samuel in chapter number 6. And if you don't mind, we're going to start in verse 16 to highlight the last portion of this character that we're studying today. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And notice with me in verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter number 6, and in verse 16, the word of God says this, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, and in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it, and David had offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of the offering, burnt <coughs> uh, offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dwelt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as women, as men, to every one a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, every one to his house. And David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncover himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play before the Lord and I will yet be more vile than thus and will be a base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of and of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. 
And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 6? 2 Samuel chapter 6, and notice as the Bible calls out this uh, character that we find in the Bible in verse number 20, Michal, the daughter of Saul. Michal, the daughter of Saul. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to this message now, we're just asking as we examine Mikhail's life that we would have wisdom and understanding. We could see the principle that her life teaches and that we could apply it to ourselves with the idea that we need to fall more in love with you. I'm asking that your Bible would be clear, that your Holy Spirit would have great liberty and that you would expose and bring us and, and help us to respond to those things that you want us to respond to. Again, I recognize with a message like this that I cannot do this. So the best I know how that once again I surrender myself to you. I give you my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished. And I put those aside and ask that you get your own work accomplished through your precious word and fill me with your precious spirit. Thank you, Lord, for being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I love to study in the Bible is by its characters. Remember that these aren't just mythological characters or fairy tale characters, but they are historical people who lived. And with that, we understand the principle that every life teaches a message. That when you look at someone's life and you look at their life as a whole, every life teaches a message. You could almost imagine on a gravestone in the epitaph, the one little statement that would describe their life. We know that there are certain Bible characters that you go back and they have a phrase attached to them. You have Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For Esther, you could have attached to her the statement, for a time such as this. For the apostle Paul, for the just shall live by faith. And that everyone has a message that their life teaches. And not everyone's life teaches a good message. And thus we're introduced uh, to Mikhail. Mikhail has been brought up a couple times before, but we see the crux of her life, the message of her life displayed here in this incident here. In order to do a proper character study, it is always wise to go back and see all the things that are mentioned about her. And as we start off, the first thing I want to show you is Mikhail's weak love. Mikhail's weak love. If you don't mind, let's go back to the to where she is first mentioned. And notice with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Of course, this is in the days where Saul was king. Michal is the daughter of Saul. And this is shortly after <coughs> David had... Um, <coughs> excuse me. That David had, uh, <coughs> had uh, slain Goliath. And so David is now a national hero. And he's behaved himself wisely. And Saul is messed with him a little bit. But we see that Michal, Saul's daughter, notice with me in 1 Samuel 18, notice with me in verse 20. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul and the thing pleased him. So we could see that she loved him, but not very much. It wasn't David, but it was the things that were around David that she was in love with. It was an outward profession of her love for David, but not an inward commitment for David. And we're going to show you that in her text here. That Michal, she loved David, but it was a weak love. 
And let's see as it's demonstrated. As we explore this, we could see that she desired David because it was the exotic thing to do. She, she uh, lo- desired David because it was the, ex- uh, the exotic thing to do. Notice with me in chapter 18 and starting in verse 17. Let's get a good running start on this. 1 Samuel 18 and 17, it says, And Saul said to David, <coughs> Behold, my elder daughter uh, Merab, her will I give to thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, let not my hand be upon him, but the hand of the Philistines be upon him. So Saul is king and he's already jealous of David. And Saul comes up with this plan. You know what? I'm not going to kill David. I'm going to go make him fight the battles. And as he fights the battles, the Philistines will kill him. I'll be the good guy. David dies a hero. Everyone wins. But he wasn't planning that David kept winning. Well, that kind of spoiled everything. I'm trying to kill David, and he won't die. Notice as it goes on in verse 18. And David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Notice that David was humble about it. He wasn't saying, Yeah, I deserve it. He says, Who am I? I'm a nobody that I should be part of the royal family. Verse 19. And it came to pass at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, would have been given to David, she was given to this other guy. So, Saul said, hey, here's my oldest daughter. You get her. her. That, I'm going to give her to you to marry. And when it was time to, for them to get married, Saul said, never mind. I, I need her to go marry this other person. So David's left without. But there's the younger daughter who's been watching this. She's been watching about David slaying Goliath. She is watching as David was promised to the older daughter. And she's going, wow, wouldn't that be nice if that was me? And notice as it goes on in verse 20. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So she hasn't had much interaction with David, but she's looking at David's life. She's looking at the life that's had. And the people respected David. And David behaved himself wisely. And the older daughter was supposed to be played. And she's looking at this exotic life. Notice as it goes on, verse number 21. And Saul said, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him. Notice this. This was his plan. I'm going to give her, him my daughter, and I'm going to use this to destroy David. Verse uh, 21, And Saul said, I will give him to her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt be this day my son-in-law in one of the twain. And he commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath the light in thee, and all of his servants love thee now. Now, therefore, take be the son, a king's son-in-law. And they go on, and David says, Who am I that I could be a part of the royal family? I'm a nobody. And so they come up with this plan that, all right, well, in order to really please Saul, because you don't feel worthy, you got to earn your place into it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to kill 100 Philistines, and I want you to take something from them to make them mad. And I've covered this before in a previous message. But basically, he did this dowry. Well, David didn't just kill 100. He killed 200 of them. And, and the way that he did it made it so the Philistines would definitely fight to the death and say, absolutely not, no way. And so they get married. And it's to be married to David seems to her it's going to be the great things of happiness. If I get married to David, everyone's going to look at me. If I get married to David, everyone talks about David, I'm going to be the one talked about. 
Wouldn't that be wonderful, everyone acknowledging how great I am? Notice as it goes on in verse 28. And Saul knew, saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. So David got married. And here is Michal who <coughs> goes up and she's excited for this. I get to be married to David. Oh, this is the exotic thing to do. Oh, look, everyone's going to talk about me. And to be honest, a lot of people have love for Christ the same way. That they have love for Christ in profession. They love the feeling that it brings, but they don't have the commitment that follows through. They say the lo they love the Lord, but it's not evidenced in their life. There are some people who call themselves Christian because it's the thing to do. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, sure. But they don't have any evidence that they truly love the Lord. They love the thought of being a Christian without loving God himself. Which brings us not only what did she desire David because it was the exotic thing to do. She defended David because it was <clears throat> the exciting thing to do. You know, living with David was an exciting life. Can you imagine part of that exoticness? Her, her sister was to be married to David. Oh, I, I, can, I want David because my sister wants him. Oh, daddy doesn't like David. Oh, well then definitely David looks more attractive to me now. You know, that idea there's a rebellious, there's an excitement for it. It's almost forbidden. And now she gets to marry David. But then with it came the exciting life. Well, Saul, of course, hates David. And so he desires to kill David. And with this, he threatens to kill David. Um, Michal hears about it. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 19, verses, starting at verse 11. 1 Samuel 19 and verse 11. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and he fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his boister and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may slay him. And when the messengers came in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillar of goat's hair for his boister. And Saul said to Michal, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away my enemy that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He hath said to me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? So here's the incident. Saul wants to kill David, and so Michal's caught up with it. She sees the people outside waiting for David, and she goes, David, you got to run. He, Saul's going to kill you. Can you imagine the excitement that she had of lowering David down and sneaking him past the guards and, and then putting in the bed an image, kind of stuffing the, the, um, the bed and putting the covers over so it looks like David's sleeping in there. When the guards come the next morning, we need to see David. Oh, he's sick. You can't see him. The little tingle, the excitement about lying. I'm helping David out. And then the guards come in later and they're taking the bed and they open up. And you can almost, in my mind, imagination, I could see a little pumpkin head kind of fall off. And the guards go, what happened? And they lift up the covers and there's nothing but the goat's hair pillow. And she's like, oops, sorry. And so they bring her before Saul and Saul's mad. What are you doing? And she, she tells a lie. And uh, basically he says, why'd you deceive me? Whose side are you on? 
Her answer was, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill thee? She denied David, and she lied about David. Think about that. This is the person she said she loved, but when she was confronted over it, she lied. No, David said that, why should I get killed? Why should I get killed in the midst of this? And so she lied. David didn't say that. But nope, she's lying about David, denying who she is. Such was her love for David. It couldn't withstand the slightest challenge or opposition. As soon as the opposition arose, she denied David. It's kind of like someone said, oh, you're one of those church people. Nope, nope, nope. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I bet you read your Bible all the time. Well, you know, we don't really have to. You just let someone give a little bit of op opposition and people automatically, nope, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Nope, and they begin to back away. They begin to deny that. Well, that's not a true committed love. That's a love that's based off of filler, off of feeling, off of excitement. And thus is the same love that a lot of people have. A little bit of trouble, they back away and they misrepresent the Lord. Instead of saying, no, I'm glad I read the Bible. I'm glad I'm in church. Let me tell you, that's where I ought to be. I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. Well, I'm reading my Bible because my pastor says I have to. The idea is the love for Christ. Hers was weak. It was uncommitted. She was willing to misrepresent David. Lie about David in order to make her look good. And she was only doing it because of the feelings that went along with it. And when it was challenged, that weak love faltered. Not only we see Mikhail's weak love, but we see time goes on and we can see Mikhail's wasted life. Mikhail's wasted life. Notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now remember, she professed her love. She loved David. But David ran. And David was hiding in the, in the cave of um, Adullam. And remember that all of those that were poor, all those that were discouraged, all those that were disappointed, left the kingdom and followed after David. People came their way to the cave of Adullam. David's own parents came to the cave of Adullam. David's brothers came to the cave of Adullam. But no Mikhail. If she loved him, how come she didn't go to the wilderness? How come she didn't go with her love, her, with David? How come she didn't say, whatever David goes through, I'm going to suffer with him because I love him that much? What happened to Mikhail? Well, look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And notice with me in verse number 44. 1 Samuel 25 and verse 44. We could see Mikhail's wasted life. Notice verse 44. But Saul had given Mikhail his daughter, David's wife, to Phalata. The son of Laish, which was of Gilead. So we could see Mikhail. What happens to her? She gets married to someone else. Instead of going to be with her true love, instead of going out there to the love committed, well, she forgot about David and went with someone else. That wasted life. What happened is that nothing happened with her. She forgot David, married someone else. It was much easier to get remarried and enjoy the benefits of being in her dad's favor. Enjoy being in the royal house than to remain true with David. Unfortunately, the rest of her life was fruitless. We could see that she didn't have any children. The Bible mentions that later on. 
The Holy Spirit ignores her. It doesn't tell about the adventures of Mikhail. It doesn't talk about her standing up from God. Nothing. Nothing. Fruitless. Her life came and it went. The same thing's true about many Christians. They live in spiritual adultery. By the way, what is spiritual adultery? Adultery is putting love and affection that belongs to someone else and putting it to another. In this case, spiritual adultery is love and affection that belongs to God and we give it to someone else. Do you love your master? Do you love God? Sure, I love God, but eh, not enough to read his Bible. Sure, I love God, but not enough to be faithful. Sure, I love God, but you love something else more. When it comes time, when it, Facebook or Bible reading time. I only got time to do one. Hmm, which one? Which one? And what happens with a Christian who puts his love and affection that belongs to God to something else? Their life is going to be fruitless. Because true spiritual fruit only comes when God does the work. You can't do God's work. God does the work. You know, so many Christians, true born-again Christians, have nothing to show for their spiritual life. Empty. Wasted. They're following their own heart, their own dreams, then following after God. They're going with what feels right to them rather than obeying the Bible. And when their life is all said and done because of their disobedience, their lack of commitment to the Lord, their lack of true love for God, you look at their life and you open it up. Remember, every life teaches a message. When you look at Mikhail's life, you could see wasted. You could see the word fruitless. She didn't have any children. She's not mentioned. Wasted. It's gone. But you know what? There's still hope. Not only do we see Mikhail's weak love, then we see her wasted life, but let's introduce her to our, her, Mikhail's wonderful Lord. Mikhail's wonderful Lord. Look with me in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, David has become king, and because of the different incidents, they are uniting the kingdoms together of Israel under the banner of, of, of David. And David is now the king, and he could have whatever he wants, but you know what? Mikhail may have forgotten about him, but he never forgot about her. He says, I won't desire her to be next to me again. My desire is to have her back with, excuse me, back with me. Notice with me in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and pick it up in verse 12. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make league with me and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. Here, David did not forget about her. You know, so many people forget about God. So many professing Christians, they get so busy with life, so busy with things, that they forget about him. But God has never forgotten about you. And you know what God's desire is for you to still be close to him? You know, the whole essence of backsliding is that your heart is far away. Do you know that you could backslide and still go to church? You could backslide and still sing songs. 
You could backslide and let me tell you, still read your Bible. You could backslide and still pray. But what makes you backslidden is your heart is far from God. You could have a good appearance, but your heart be far away from God. And God's desire is for you to come back to Him. If you could forgive the personal illustration, there was a time in my life because of circumstances I wasn't able to make it back into church. Um, I was in the military, different things happened. Uh, some of it is excuse, but <laughs> in it I wasn't back in church. I was reading my Bible every day and justifying, look, I'm reading my Bible. Most people who don't go to church don't read their Bible. I was justifying myself. I prayed, but my prayers bounced off the ceiling and went back down and were fruitless. But I was saying, look, I'm a better Christian than Christians who go to church. But it wasn't until I realized that I had not thought about Jesus for two weeks that I realized how backslidden I was. Do you understand if you love someone, you can't go that long without thinking about it? For example, I love my wife. I can't go two weeks without saying, hey, wait, wait, I'm married. She wouldn't like that, right? You know, I don't need to be reminded that I'm supposed to love my wife. I love her. It's something that's there. It's something I think about. But you understand, your love is pretty weak if you could go several days without thinking about Jesus. That's an evidence that you're backslidden. You could go through the motions and not think about Jesus. You could have a hymn book and say, oh, how I live Jesus, but thinking about what you're going to have for lunch later on. You understand? It's about our love. But the good news is that you have a master who wants you back. No matter how far away you are, Mikhail had a wonderful Lord who never forgot her and his desires for her to be close to him. That's what God desires for you, is for you to be close to him. And God opened up the opportunity for her to return back and she could be as close to God as she wanted to be, as close to her Lord as she wanted to be. So, we're expecting to see happily ever after? Well, let's see this last thing here. That we saw Mikhail's weak love. We witnessed <coughs> her wasted life. We saw her wonderful Lord. But one last thing I would like to show you here <coughs> is Mikhail's wicked laugh. Mikhail's wicked laugh. And with that, turn with me back to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. You know, you could tell a lot about someone's laugh. By what they laugh at, you could tell a lot about their heart. Well, what's happening in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is that David has brought the Ark of the Covenant and he has brought it back to Jerusalem. And David is excited that David has abased himself. You know what, Mikhail, she comes from Saul's family. She grew up royalty. You know how Saul would have handled this? With a lot of pomp and circumstance. Saul would have put on his best kingly robes. He would have had all the people pr praise him as he led triumphantly into Jerusalem. That's how Saul would have handled it. That's how Mikhail was trained. This is the king. He needs to act like a king. But David set aside his kingly robes and was like everyone else. And then as he was leading the proceedings, he was leading the music, leaping and leading, trying to get people to sing. And they were singing praises as they were going down step by step. And he was making a fool of himself. 
Notice with me in 2 Samuel chapter number 6 and pick it up in verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. Notice she's not even with him. David's bringing in the proceedings. She's at home staring at a window, looking down at him, and saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She despised him. She's watching the devotion David had for God carried out before the Ark of the Covenant. And she despised David for loving God. She despised David for honoring God. Why? Because she's so far away. She's so far away that she can't enjoy someone else's affection and worship towards God. So David returns home with the purpose of blessing his home. He's had a great day. And so as he has this great day, he comes home and he wants to pray for his family. And he wants to be excited about the things going on. Pick it up in verse number 20. And David returned to bless his household. So David comes in with motives. I'm going to pray for my household. I'm going to put the blessings of God. Let's go. But Michal's waiting for her. You can almost imagine Michal's got the upset mother look. She comes in and she's waiting and she's she's armed for bear. She is ready to go, ready to fire, and it doesn't take long before she turns loose. And David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his fellow servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovering himself. What's happening is that this is sarcasm, if you didn't pick that up. And it's dripping with acid. Someone had great victory and they're enjoying their time in the Lord. But she's despising him for it. And she tries to ruin it. He's having a great day. Great victory. And she just can't wait to ruin it. She accuses David of making a fool of himself. When he should have acted like a king. David just goes back and replies that God has done so much for me. Why shouldn't I make a big deal out of God's victories? He has done so much for me. David just tried to humble himself in God's name, trying to say, I'm nobody. I'm a nobody here. I may be leading the music, and I may be trying to get people to sing, but I'm not the important one here. God is. It is him. He says, why shouldn't I humble myself? It's not about me. This is not the David show here. I'm trying to say, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And he's excited about the things of God. But she can't enjoy it. She can't enjoy it at all. May I take a pause here and tell you what is not brought up here? That the king did not bring up her past. He did not bring up and say, hey, you remember? You're the one who went away with some other guy. She didn't bring it back up. You know that's one thing about our God is he never brings up our past. He never brings it back in an argument. He never brings it back and put it in our face. He never rubs our noses in it. Isn't that a wonderful God? David didn't do that to Michal either. He didn't bring up her past. Didn't bring that up whatsoever. But what we could see here is that David realizes that she has no desire to be close to him. David wanted her to be close to him, but she didn't have a desire. She didn't have that love. And so because of that, she had... For the rest of her life, she was married to him, but she wasn't close to him. Didn't have any children because of this. 
What a great tragedy in the Christian life to be saved but lose out on the chance of being close to God. You know that's what God wants for you? God just did not merely want to save you to keep you out of hell, but he saved you for the purpose of restoring fellowship with him. He wants you to be close to him. Do you know the Bible reflects this in the New Testament? Hold, go with me, if you don't mind, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in chapter number 2. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ is writing a personal letter to seven different churches, seven different historical churches. This is an allegory. This isn't picture. These are historical churches who were existing during the time of John the uh, John the Beloved Disciple, 90 AD. So these are churches that you could go and visit. And Jesus Christ wrote a personal letter to each one of these churches. Go with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Revelation chapter 20, or chapter 2, Revelation 2 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. And notice as Jesus writes a personal letter to the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2, 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot, canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So Jesus starts off and saying, hey, there's some good things. I know your works. I know what you do for the Lord. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you can't stand those that don't teach the Bible. You love people who teach the Bible. You've tried them, verse number three, and hast borne and had patience for my name's sake, has labored and had not fainted. The word fainted hasn't quit. So he's complimenting this church. I know what you do. I know how hard you work. You haven't quit. You've been moving forward. Verse number four is a big stop though. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Can you imagine this? Jesus saying, hey, I know how hard you work. I know your patience. I know what you do. You've been doing a lot of good things and you haven't quit, but... I've got something against you. I've got something against you. What does Jesus have against this church who is working hard and laboring and doing everything that's right? I, nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou has left thy first love. That your love for Jesus isn't warm anymore. Your love for the Lord isn't heated anymore. It's not passionate anymore. It's dry and useless you're going through the motions. You're doing right, but you're not doing the best. You know, so often the good is the enemy of the best. We do good things to the neglect of the best things. What's the best things? The best thing is all, the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Chasing after him, going after him, desiring to have him. Passionate about him, wanting him. The love that God wants us to have. You see here, he compliments the work, but that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for the heart. Do you love him? Is it commitment there? Verse number five, he explains, this is what you need to do, fix it. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first work. You know what we're supposed to remember? That we're sinners, and that Jesus saved us. Not a single one of us is good enough to get into heaven by ourselves. Not a single one of us have done enough good things to earn our place into heaven. You know how you got to heaven or how you got forgiven of your sins? The same way everyone else did. Realizing that you're a sinner and because of your sin you owe God hell. 
But the only hope that you have is Jesus Christ. And you personally ask Jesus to be your Savior. Everyone came the same way by admitting that we're sinners. What's the qualification to be forgiven? You have to be a sinner. Jesus says, remember where you came from and repent. Remember that you're a nobody who's just trying to serve somebody who will love anybody. Go to him. It is not about you. It's all about him. Your love for him. So Jesus says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. He says, you need to get this right. But God, I'm doing all these wonderful works. It's not about your works. It's about your heart. But God, I've been doing this faithfully. I appreciate you being faithful, but we're looking for your heart. What God is looking for most out of you is for you to be close to him. Your works will follow if your heart is right. But he's looking for your heart. Are you still in love with him? How is your heart? When you wake up in the morning, do you look forward to your Bible reading or is it a drudgery? That shows your heart. When you get up and have the opportunity to pray, do you look forward to talking with your God? When you talk to God, is it a laundry list? God, I want you to get this done and get this done and get this done and have it done before I get home or else. Isn't that how we pray often? When's the last time you said, God, I love you? What are you thinking about today? What's on your heart? What's important to you? What do you want to get done? Where do you want to go? What do you want me to do? How can I show you that I love you today? Well, doesn't that change your prayer life? Are you excited to talk about God? Is the things of God a drudgery? You understand that if you love him, Jesus said, keep my commandments. That's an evidence. That's a commitment there. Some person who says, well, I don't go to church, but I love God. You're a liar. Jesus said, you love me. Keep my commandments. Love is going to always produce action. What is your love like him like? Is it weak and anemic? I love God but not enough to do anything about it. How is your love towards him? You understand this is the most important thing to God is he wants fellowship. He wants you to be close to him. And the greatest tragedy is someone who is legitimately saved, but not taking advantage of the ability to be close to God. God wants you to be so close to him. And so many Christians, they're saved, they're going to heaven, but they are so Far from him. They may even be in church every week, but be so far from him. So the question is, is how is your love towards the Lord? You are always as close to God as you want to be. Right now, as close as you are to the Lord is because that's where you want to be. And if there's any time that you've ever been closer to the Lord, then you are backslidden. And you can get right. God is just waiting for you just to come to him. Just come to him and say, Lord, I want to be in love with you again. I'm coming to you and say, God, I'm repent. It's all about you. He wants to be close to you. The question you have to ask is, do you want to be close to him? 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.